Hello, I'm Marcus Louth and welcome to the latest edition of the UFO Insight Podcast, where we'll examine all things UFOs and aliens, conspiracies and mysteries, and all aspects of the paranormal. Okay, today we'll be looking at the possibility that the men in black, alleged black-eyed children, and extraterrestrials are somehow connected. That, for reasons unknown, they all play a part in the equally unknown agenda at the heart of the UFO and alien question. Indeed, as we explore some of the accounts of both the men in black and black-eyed children, and how they might connect to UFO and alien encounters, we just might find those connections stretch further and to more obscure places than we might think. Okay, so who are the men in black? Well, there are several theories as to who this mysterious group might be. Some suggest they are a top-secret government department, specifically tasked with suppressing evidence and reports of UFO sightings, and even of an extraterrestrial presence on Earth. Others suggest the chilling men are, in fact, extraterrestrials themselves, either in their genuine form or in some kind of assumed form. Yet other researchers have declared the real possibility that the men in black are connected to an underground civilization, perhaps one indigenous to the Earth, but who were forced underground long ago. Indeed, many ancient writings do speak of such events taking place, and some researchers today suggest there is an invisible conflict unfolding between two opposing forces, although it is not a notion shared by all or even most in the UFO community. The Men in Black would appear to be a much more nuanced organisation, with a much more layered agenda than even those who have studied them might imagine. And we should note that many of those who have researched these menacing figures extensively return some quite disturbing conclusions. While most of us imagine this strange and disturbing group show up simply after a person witnesses a UFO, the fact is, according to the many accounts on record, is their appearances are much more complicated, as are their apparent reasons for making contact, and indeed their true origins. In our book From Deep Within the Archives of UFO Insight, we examined several intriguing Men in Black encounters, including that of Dr. Hopkins, who after conducting research into UFO accounts in the mid-1970s, would receive a sudden visit from a strange gentleman dressed in a black suit, hat and large coat. What's more, when he removed his hat, his head was completely hairless and pale-skinned. Ultimately, the mysterious visitor would recommend Dr. Hopkins refrain from his research, but of particular interest here is that the gentleman would comment to Dr. Hopkins that he had to leave, as his energy was running low. Might this suggest that the men in black do indeed have another worldly origin, and that despite their appearance, they are not at all human? Given the accounts on record then, particularly the paler than normal skin, dark glasses and robot-like mannerisms, many have suggested that these strange entities are not connected to a top-secret government department, but are in fact some kind of underground civilization. Veteran researcher Nick Redfern would state in 2011 that his research very much suggested the men in black were an underground alien army working its way into our lives. Indeed, Redfern is not on his own making such claims. Just one of several researchers is David Jacobs, who had claimed that the reason and agenda of alien abductions was very much the same, to take over humanity through hybridisation, essentially to take control from within. And while such suggestions sound absurd, the fact that many otherwise serious-minded researchers suggest them should alert us to the fact that they may deserve a little more attention than we are collectively willing to give them. Might this be the reason for the dark glasses, the pale skin, and the dressing in large heavy trench coats, even in stifling heat? That they are not suited to the atmosphere above the ground, 
Could this be the reason they appear to run out of energy after only a short amount of time? Or might the robotic mannerism suggest they are exactly that, some kind of robotic explorer sent to the service to do the bidding of those who remain underground? If this was the case, we would have to ask, are these underground entities extraterrestrials who use the alleged inner Earth as their base, or are what we perceive as aliens actually an indigenous race of the planet who at some point in history fled underground? According to the research files of Ray Boche, several accounts exist of strangely dressed men appearing out of nowhere during the airship wave sightings of 1897. However, one of the most interesting accounts occurred several years later across the Atlantic Ocean in Wales in the United Kingdom. And what's more, the account appeared in a local newspaper, the Barmouth Advertiser. According to the report, amidst the many strange sightings of lights and airships taking place in the region, a local woman, who wished to remain anonymous, claimed that a mysterious gentleman had suddenly appeared in her room on three consecutive nights. What's more, this strange visitor had passed on a message to the woman concerned. However, the report states that she was too frightened to speak of it. What is interesting here is that many accounts of the men in black often speak of them simply appearing in the room as if out of nowhere. Perhaps one of the best accounts is that of Albert Bender, who after several years as a UFO investigator in the mid-1950s was suddenly shut down his research, claiming he had solved the mystery of UFOs. It would later come to light through researcher Gray Barker that Bender had received a visit from what we would now describe as the men in black. And what's more, these menacing individuals had suddenly appeared in his room. Only years later would Bender speak of the incident. In short, he would claim that the men in black were in fact alien entities, whose appearance was so monstrous they assumed the form they had. Furthermore, and perhaps lending a little credibility to the notion of an underground alien presence, he would state that this group of extraterrestrials had established a base in Antarctica. And what's more, they had arrived in order to extract a valuable element from the sea. There are several intriguing things to look at here. Many accounts and claims of reptilian alien entities, including those from ancient times, speak of their appearance in much the same way. We should remind ourselves that many ancient writings speak of it being forbidden to depict certain gods and deities in their natural form. Also worth noting is that many UFO sightings occur over or near large bodies of water, including the planet's seas and oceans. Might this be the reason why? And what should we make of the claims of there being a base in Antarctica? Conspiracies of secret facilities and underground bases have swirled around Antarctica for decades, and it remains of interest to many conspiracy researchers today. Even the Third Reich, if the rumours are to be believed, looked at establishing a base there. Of course, if the rumours, as outlandish as they undoubtedly are, of the Third Reich attempting to make a pact with an extraterrestrial race in the region are accurate, then the claims of Albert Bender suddenly become even more intriguing. Okay, so there are many men in black sightings and encounters over the years, certainly far too many for us to go through every single one of them here. There are some, though, that stand out more than others. Perhaps one of the most intriguing encounters of an experience with the men in black is that of Paul Miller in North Dakota in November 1961. On the night in question, Miller and three friends were returning home following a hunting trip. As they drove along the road on their way back to Minnow, they noticed a strange object appear overhead and land in a field at the roadside. As they slowed their vehicle and watched the object, at first thinking it was a plane crashing to the ground, they were all astounded to witness the object vanish into thin air. 
They drove off, contemplating the bizarre scene they had just witnessed, when the object suddenly appeared once more. This time, however, two humanoids have stepped from the object. With their vehicle now brought completely to a stop, Miller stepped out and aimed his gun at the strange figures, firing once and appearing to wound one of them. At that point, however, with fear rising in them, the four men fled from the scene. It was only when they were approaching Minnow that they began to realise they had lost around three hours of time. Although they attempted to make sense of the events among themselves, they agreed not to report the incident and not to speak to anyone outside of their group about it. The following day, however, things took an even stranger turn. Miller worked in an office for the Air Force. The following day, despite a persistent uneasy feeling about the events of the previous evening, he arrived at work as normal. Not long after, however, three strange men dressed in black suits and ties arrived, asking to speak with him. They would claim to be from the government. However, when Miller asked for identification, they simply ignored his request. It was when they stated to him that they hoped he was telling the truth about the UFO sighting, though, that a chill went down his spine. Not least, as he couldn't understand how they even knew he had seen anything strange. As an answer to this question, they simply claimed they had a report. If there was any doubt in Miller's mind that these agents were indeed serious, they would proceed to inform him of such details that he realised they knew everything about him. Even more intimidating were several questions they asked concerning the incident the previous evening, where it was perfectly obvious to Miller that they already knew the answers, and consequently would know if he was lying. Several years later, in July 1967 in Toledo, Ohio, Robert Richardson reports an apparent collision with the UFO while driving to the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. In a similar detail to the previous case, the witness claimed he was coming around a bend in the road when the object appeared out of nowhere in front of him. Because of this, he was unable to break in time and collided with the object. However, upon impact, which he claimed was minimal, the object suddenly vanished. He would report the incident to the police, who would accompany Richardson to the location to examine it for themselves. However, upon arriving, all they could see were his tyre marks on the road. Unable to get the incident out of his mind though, he would return by himself to the scene a short time later. This time, he would discover a small lump of metal. Thinking it might have come from the suddenly appearing and disappearing craft, he scooped it up and returned home. Three days later, however, at around 11pm, Richardson was greeted with a knocking on his front door. Upon answering it, two men, each apparently in their early twenties, were standing there. They did not identify themselves, but they entered his home and proceeded to question him for around ten minutes, demonstrating as they did that they knew information about him that was not publicly available. Richardson would recall that they were not particularly unfriendly, and even left a number when they left, which they did so in a black Cadillac, a vehicle that shows up in many similar reports. Incidentally, the phone number was not yet issued when he called it later that night. Just as Richardson was beginning to put the strange events to the back of his mind, he would receive another visit from two men a week later. These were different from the two from the previous week. Each was dressed in dark suits and had arrived in a brand new Dodge. They entered his house and proceeded to speak with him about the UFO incident ten days previously. Their tone was one of trying to persuade him that he hadn't actually hit anything strange that evening at all. 
he would dismiss these assertions. However, when they asked him about the piece of metal he had recovered, he froze inside, not least as he had not told anyone of the item, apart from two members of the organisation he had made his report to. Then, things turned even more ominous. He would inform the men that the metal had gone for analysis. To this they would reply, if you want your wife to stay as pretty as she is, then you'd better get that metal back. Had these mysterious visitors obtained such information by interrogating investigators? Or might they have access to such things as phone taps? Or might their access to information be of a more paranormal nature? He also noticed that while one of the men spoke perfect English, the other had a heavy accent that he couldn't quite place. He would recall, though, there was something vaguely foreign about it. One of the more recent encounters is also one of the most intriguing. In Niagara Falls, Ontario, Canada in May 2009, two strange and menacing individuals entered a hotel, asking questions of one of the employees and the hotel manager. The people in question had recently reported a UFO sighting in the area. Several months earlier, in late 2008, the pair reported seeing a triangular craft with a red light in the middle of it hovering over the resort. Suddenly a bright beam like a searchlight appeared from the object, eventually setting on the two men. Several days later, the hotel manager witnessed what he thought was the same craft heading in the same direction of their first encounter. As well as their demanding demeanour, these men in black also had a strange appearance, with witnesses noticing how particularly pale both men were and how they appeared to be exactly the same height and build. Witnesses again reported that these curious characters had no facial hair whatsoever. One particular report stated that the men had hypnotic blue eyes that never blinked, and generally acted very strangely. This last detail about the eyes left many experts in the field to state this encounter was different from a typical Men in Black incident. While many of us perhaps perceive the Men in Black to be a Western phenomenon, with particular focus on the United States, the Men in Black are sighted all over the world, including the Far East, and in our next instance, Japan. Although it isn't his real name, Kazoo would relate to researcher Brent Swanser an encounter with the Men in Black of one of his close friends, Nobu, who had a keen interest in UFOs. He had even managed to record several incidents of UFOs right in the heart of Tokyo. One particular evening, following working late at his office in the middle of Tokyo City's centre, Nobu was riding home on one of the city's late-night buses. He was the only person on the bus, until an elderly gentleman dressed completely in black attire got on several stops after him. He might not have paid the man any attention had he not positioned himself in the seat in the aisle opposite him. This despite him having the choice of all the other seats on the bus. Nobu continued to look forward or out of his window, occasionally stealing a glance at this fidgety man next to him. He noticed how he would keep moving his hands and had a look of agitation about him. Of more concern to Nobu, though, was that the man would keep taking long glances in his own window. Not to look outside, however. Instead, he was using the reflection of the glass and the pressing night outside to look back at him. After several minutes, Nobu turned to look directly at the mystery man. He would take in as much detail as he could within the few moments he allowed himself to look in the strange man's direction. He wore a black suit which fit loosely on his frame. On his lap rested a black leather briefcase. He would fidget with it continuously. It was from this activity that Noble noticed how long and thin, unusually so, the man's fingers were. On his head was a hat which looked a cross between a fedora and a bowler hat. As he stared at the hat, he noticed a man sweating intensely. 
despite the relatively cold temperatures outside. Even stranger, as he did so, a strange streaking occurred on his skin, as if he had applied heavy makeup which was now running. Underneath these streaks, there appeared a lighter, pale skin. It was then he would decide to get off the bus. He would later describe the man as having the features of an old man and a baby, all at the same time. He took his eyes away from the man as he made his way out of his seat and down the aisle of the moving bus, waiting for the next stop. As he moved forward, the sound of the briefcase crashing to the floor made him quicken his pace. Not looking back, even as the bus slowed, he stepped outside and let out a sigh of relief. As the vehicle moved away from the stop though, Noble gave in to the curiosity to see what the strange man had been doing. He was shocked to discover there was nobody there. He looked again. Perhaps the man had bent forward to pick up his briefcase. He was, however, nowhere to be seen. The incident left Noble more than unsettled for some time. Whether the strange man on the night bus was from the men in black with an interest in Noble due to his enthusiasm for UFO sightings is open to debate. It certainly shares some of the details in such encounters in the Western world. Others, however, are more akin to the tales of the black-eyed children, as we shall see later. Another one of Swanson's encounters is that of Tom, who awoke one evening to find three men, each dressed in strange business suits, knocking at his door. They asked directly and bluntly, with no regard for the late hour, to speak with a Mr Yamada. Tom informed them politely they must have the wrong house. However, they would become insistent and seemingly increasingly agitated. Tom noticed how their accent appeared different, almost stiff. He also noticed how pale their skin was, and conversely how dark their eyes were. Finally, after several minutes of the verbal back and forth, the three men appeared to accept their error and went to leave. Then, however, one of them asked if they might come inside for a drink of water. Tom flatly refused, and wished them good night. The group left, and Tom closed the door. He was considerably unsettled by the encounter. He would later recall that despite no threats being made or even any physical approach from the group, he could sense an underlying threat of violence and danger. He would comfort himself with the notion that the men were likely from a local mafia group who had genuinely got the wrong address. However, privately, he didn't fully accept that explanation. Is it possible that rather than being from a top-secret government agency, that the men in black are not even human at all? As we mentioned previously, there is ample reason to believe that these strange entities have not only an extraterrestrial quality to them, but also a paranormal one. The previously mentioned Albert Bender, for example, who claimed their form was so monstrous they used the men in black appearance as a disguise of sorts, also claimed that these entities had glowing red eyes. Such descriptions are often used to describe demons in ancient writings, and once again we might remind ourselves that many alleged sightings of reptilians also often contain descriptions of glowing red eyes. If there is a UFO connection, might that explain, as other researchers have pointed out, that the attire of these strange figures appears to be locked into the 1950s, even with incidents that have occurred in more recent times? Might we assume that when the United States government began investigating UFOs and alien encounters in the 1950s, that these strange alien visitors used their appearance as a basis for their own disguise or vessel? The monotonous tone and stiff mannerisms are also like another paranormal phenomena, that of the black-eyed children. Indeed, many who claim to have been in the presence of these equally mysterious entities claim they have the feeling the exterior is merely a bizarre suit and not a child at all. 
and it is to these equally unsettling entities that we will turn our attention to next. Okay, before we examine whether there could be connections between the men in black and the so-called black-eyed children, we will quickly go over some encounters with these mysterious and unsettling entities. Now the best place to start would be with the account that was arguably the first encounter to have gained traction on the internet, and which brought forth multiple other claims of interactions with these strange beings. That account was made by Brian Bethel in the mid-1990s. According to Bethel, he had made his way to what used to be the site of the one-time internet provider Camelot Communications in order to pay his bill. He had parked close to the nearby cinema in order to use the light from its front to write out his cheque, which he then planned to place in the company's dropbox. As he was doing this though, a sudden knock came at the car window, startling him somewhat. There, standing next to the car, were two young boys, somewhere between 9 and 12 years old. He opened the passenger window, but only slightly. For reasons he couldn't explain, he felt an intense fear building within him. One of the boys stepped forward, asking Bethel if he could drive them to his mother's house as they had forgotten to bring money with them and they wished to see a movie at the cinema. Although Bethel thought this was plausible enough, there was something about these two youngsters that told him not to let them in the car. After a back and forth for several minutes, Bethel offered that the last showing of their film had already started, and by the time he had managed to drive them back to the cinema, it would have almost finished. The boy dismissed Bethel's suggestion, and insisted they had time. It was only at this point that Bethel realised each boy had black, soulless orbs where their eyes should have been. It was this that caused him to wind up the window and drive off as fast as he could, leaving the two strange boys behind him. When he glanced back a moment later, they were both gone. It was, though, what one of the boys shouted at him as he drove off that forever stuck in his mind. We can't come in unless you tell us it's okay. As the first years and the technology of the 21st century progressed, so did claims of encounters with black-eyed children. And while undoubtedly some of the accounts are made up, some appear to have a little more credence. However, largely due to witnesses wishing to remain anonymous, it is hard to differentiate between the two. Indeed, all accounts should be taken with a pinch of salt. That is not to say they are not interesting, or that they shouldn't be subject to further investigation. Many of the accounts, however, do have details that match each other, and as such, a profile of sorts can be put together of these black-eyed children. They will, for example, appear out of nowhere and knock at your door, or, in what tends to be rural or abandoned areas, they will appear and tap at the window of your parked car, and they seemingly need to be invited into the house or vehicle that they have approached, very similar to the so-called vampire tales of old. Another repeated detail is an unsettling feeling that people feel in their presence, as well as, on some occasions, a sense that the witness is under some form of mind control. There are also repeated claims from these strange beings of escaping from someone, and so requiring shelter, or of having to desperately use a telephone, almost as if these requests are part of a limited knowledge of human interaction, or even of some kind of programming. Perhaps one of the more chilling encounters took place in November 2012, at an isolated gas station no less. In Louisiana, somewhere in the northeast of the state, at around 3am, while keeping himself occupied with busy work, the attendant would be plunged into total darkness. The power had gone out, probably due to recent high winds in the area, or so he thought. Using his phone as a torch, the attendant would locate the backup generator, flicking it into action. The main core to the station and the till area now had limited but adequate lighting. 
it was then he became aware of three strange children on bikes at the edge of the outer court. Two of them came to the door and stared in at him. Finally one of the children, a young girl, asked to use the phone. He went to hand her his mobile phone, to which she replied, No, I need the real one. As she did so, she motioned to the landline on the wall of the shop, and saw revealing eyes that were completely black. Sensing danger, the attendant refused to let the strange children in. They remained motionless at the door, continuing to stare in at him. Then, without saying a word, they turned and rode off on their bikes. Whether coincidentally or not, shortly after they dispersed, the power came back on. In January 2016, reports went around the internet of a woman who had let the black-eyed children into her home. Furthermore, she believed in doing so, she had exposed herself to something that was making her ill. As a blizzard continued to pound Vermont and the surrounding area into the early hours of the morning in question, a loud knocking came at the front door of the unnamed woman's home. The knocking continued, and believing someone needed help due to the storm, her husband opened the door. In front of them, were two children, a boy and a girl, neither could have been older than ten years old. They immediately invited the pair into their house. She told them to sit and get warm in the living room while she prepared some hot chocolate. When she asked what they were doing out so late, they replied only, our parents will be here soon. It was as she handed each of them their drink that she could see their eyes were completely black, as if someone had placed two pieces of coal where they should have been. Unnerved but attempting to remain calm, she directed them to the bathroom at their request. It was then that all the lights went out. At the same time, the woman's husband's nose began to bleed heavily. All the while, she could see the children standing at the end of the hall, watching her. Suddenly, headlights shone through from the road outside, and a strange black car drove up. The children claimed their parents were here, and rushed outside and into the car. It then drove away, leaving the pair alone, but terrified. Both have claimed to have suffered with extreme ill health since the encounter. When reports of the black-eyed girl of Cannock Chase and Lee Brickley's investigations into the sightings made the front page of the Daily Star several times in September 2014, it was the first time that many in the mainstream had heard of such beings. Many other mainstream newspapers would also carry reports of the story, and national and regional television news even ran short pieces on it. The most recent account involved a local woman and a young daughter. While walking along Cannock Chase, a blood-curdling scream tore through the air. Sounding like that of a petrified child to the pair, they scanned the area, eventually noticing a strange girl in a white dress standing behind them. The girl remained quiet and motionless disturbingly with her hands covering her eyes. The woman slowly approached the young girl, asking aloud if she was okay. In response, the child took her hands away from her eyes, causing the woman to gasp out loud. When she focused back to where the girl was standing a second later, she had vanished. According to Brickley, the woman told him during his investigation, the girl's eyes were completely black, no iris, no white, just nothing. What is important to keep in mind when we consider if these black-eyed children do indeed have a connection to the men in black is that Cannock Chase is home to all manner of strange and anomalous activities, including many UFO sightings. 
Okay, it's been a bit of a bumper episode this time, and with good reason. As we can see, if there is a connection between the strange entities referred to as the black-eyed children, the men in black, and UFO and alien encounters, then it opens up a whole host of possibilities, some of which could be quite concerning. Are both the men in black and the black-eyed children some kind of incarnation or altered form of an extraterrestrial race? Perhaps they are alien-human hybrids, early versions of the continuing efforts of the alleged breeding program of the Grey Aliens. Or are they some kind of futuristic artificial life, and do they simply carry out some unknown duties for an equally unknown government department, one that also studies and keeps a lid on UFO sightings and encounters? What both the men in black and the black-eyed children might be will for now remain a mystery. That many, many people have had some truly strange encounters with both of them, however, and that many, many more will over the coming years, is almost certain. For now, I will simply thank you for joining me once more. Be sure to leave any thoughts in the comments, and check out the links for further reading on some of the cases and theories we have been discussing here. Remember to subscribe to our channel, and follow us on social media to keep up to date on future podcasts, articles and videos. And if there is anything you want us to feature on future podcast episodes, just get in touch at marcus at ufoinsight.com. Until next time, goodbye and take care.